Hello and welcome to Weird Careers. I'm your host, E.T. All over the world, people have jobs. And some of those jobs we don't even know exist. There are jobs that we don't know a lot about. And there are jobs that we just don't talk about. Well, I'm here to explore all of the above on this podcast. I will be speaking to people all over the globe about their strange and interesting career choices. Everything from specialized retail to sex work. Oh, did I mention that this show is 18 plus? Over the course of this podcast, join me as I take a deep dive into each of these professions. Do you or someone you know have an interesting or weird job? Don't be shy. You'd be surprised how interesting your job really is. Shoot me an email at weirdcareers at gmail.com. This podcast is brought to you by Cardinal Images. Want your small business looking great online at an affordable price? Email Cardinal Images at eric at cardinalimages.ca for your personalized quote. Cardinal Images, amazing quality, incredible pricing, and personable photography. On today's show, we have joining us via Zoom from Brooklyn, New York. We have Trish Dalton here, who is a documentary producer slash director. Trish, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, before we get too, too far, um, without any spoilers, what is it that you do and how long have you been doing it for? I direct and produce films, mostly documentaries, and then I also do commercial and branded content for organizations and companies. And I do some narrative scripted content as well. All right. So I'm going to hit the brakes there. Now, there are some terms there that I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably aren't aware of. Branded content was one of them. And then what was that last one again? Oh, narrative film, scripted, just meaning like the difference between a documentary and a narrative film is that one has a script and one doesn't. So one way that they're defined, as you say, it's either scripted content or non-scripted content. And so unscripted means it's documentary and scripted means that it's narrative. And narrative means that there's a script that has been written and it's usually not, even if it's based on a true story, it's usually because it's written, it has actors and it's um, in that way different from a documentary. Oh, cool. I, I didn't know that. Look at that. You learn something new every day. <laughs> so from the beginning, where did you, if we're in, for this industry, where did the passion start? And what steps did you take to get where you are now? Um, well, I think I started my passion for filmmaking when I was a kid. My parents' video camera. I was always into theater and I was always... Um, interested in putting on plays and writing plays. I I realized I wasn't going to be an actor because I was always the dwarf or the mouse or the elf. (laughs) I realized that I wasn't, I was never going to get lead roles as an actor. So I might as well go into directing. So I would (laughs) put on little plays that I would direct with my friends and siblings. And then I would make little videos and music videos. And I would ask all my, my friends and siblings to play parts. So I think I was always interested in that. And then I got interested in documentary when I was in high school because I was really into social and environmental justice. And so I was a part of a lot of campaigns and groups to help make change happen. And I felt like 
sometimes I felt like my efforts weren't reaching a broad enough audience. And I thought maybe if I could make documentaries like Errol Morris and Michael Moore, who were taking important, I feel like important topics and reaching a wider audience that I could do that. Not to say that, um, you know, I I needed to make films exactly like them, but just (laughs) the concept that, you know, they could, they could help spread um, news about, I, I think, important social issues. And, and so that's why I was passionate about documentary and I decided I wanted to make documentary films and that was in high school and then um, at my university at the time in Canada they didn't have great um, film programs at a lot of universities you had to go to a special school college and and now they're they're more integrated but at the time I so I, I want and I want to go to university so I went to university and then I went to film school afterwards I went to New York University in New York, oh, wow. I came to New York to do, to continue doing my social justice work. I worked with mm-hmm. the UN and also to study film and to learn film. So I kind wow. of, I guess I, I, I'm, I'm jumping off of where my passion started, but it just kind of grew from childhood wow, <laughs> short note and turned into getting involved in film when I got older. That is absolutely fascinating. I love it. So out of all the genres of film, television, what was it that drew you specifically to documentary? You mentioned things like uh, other documentarians like Michael Moore. You had been involved in some protesting stuff as well. Um, But diving deeper, what was it that drew you to this uh, genre? Well, I think it was the marriage of my interest in storytelling and putting on shows and filming. I was always, I always liked kind of being behind the camera mm-hmm. um, and getting people to do silly things. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I always enjoyed putting together a film or a show. And so I think it married those two. And a lot of my documentaries, like some of them are social issue, but some of them are, are just sharing stories or mm-hmm. connecting with people. I feel like, I guess I feel like a storyteller. I like to share stories. I like to, um, yeah, figure out ways of connecting with people and sharing. Like, and, and so, sometimes, you know, creatively, I I sometimes think it's hard to just be like just a documentary filmmaker. That's why mm-hmm. I, I think um, I like to make experimental films. I like to take photographs. Okay. I like to do podcasts. I like to do... Uh, scripts and, and narration. I think it's kind of like whatever tools are needed to express what you're trying to express and also to do what I'm trying to do. Sometimes that's to, to give a social or environmental justice issue um, some, some light and some weight to help change laws or to help give a voice to people that may, maybe don't have a voice or issues that don't have a have a an outlet like the environment but mm-hmm. I think um other times you know I I think just the human condition is, is fascinating and, and oh, communicating experience through that and and also you know you and I work together on some pretty good um family videos yeah we have <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of leads into my next question um are there any projects that stick out to you that you've worked on that are really close and near and dear to you? 
Oh gosh, this is a hard question because that's why I ask it. I feel like um, I ask myself that for every project because every project, okay, maybe not every single project. I mean, there's certain projects that I do for a job that I, but I, I usually like the projects that I'm working on, whether they're commercial content or working on a friend's project or something that I'm doing. Like I, I've, I've guess I've been lucky that I've gotten to work on things that I think are good and doing something interesting. It's not all the same, but there's something about it that, that makes me feel good. If it's my own project, a film that I set out to make, then I really sit with myself and ask myself like how much I care about this project because you know it takes so much work to raise the money and to um, put it all together and it's a lot of hours and a lot of time and um, yeah I think I think filmmaking is is kind of crazy because you have to put so many so many hours into oh it. absolutely project. even when there's funding it's still a giant commitment and often mm-hmm. uh uh yeah like like even when you're funded it still can be very long hours and it's a yeah. lot of stress and um so I always ask myself like do, how much do I care about this project and mm-hmm. usually like you know and when I say how I gauge how much I care. Like, will I cry if I, if I don't do this project? Like, <laughs> For sure. you know, it's like, it's that, I think you have to really deeply care. Otherwise it's too much work and you'll go, you know, you, you'll. Absolutely. You always have to be passionate about what you're working on. <laughs> I a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think I have that question often, even before I take a job, I'm like, do I, I I've, and maybe this is why I'm, 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 I'm very far from rich, but I, I don't take a job if I don't think I would like to work on the project, you know, not to say that I'm like so luxurious that I love every single thing that I do, but I, mm-hmm. I think that I have the luxury that I have enough work that I choose projects that I um, feel like I can get something out of the experience and something good there. I, I, I'm, you know, if it's if it's a toxic environment or something that I don't care about, I, I think, yeah, that's not worth it for me. For sure, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, because that's kind of in anything. I think that's any any field. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, a lot. I don't know. A lot of my a lot of the listeners know that I've been working in retail for many, many, many years. Um, everything from gas station to Walmart, and now I sell cannabis. And the experience selling cannabis is so vastly different from any other retail job that I had. The funny thing is, before I had this job, I swore to myself I would never take another retailer job again. Never. I was done. I said, Trish, I said I was done with people. I am so sick and tired of people. I'm just done. So I did my thing at uh, WeedMD, and then this came up, and I was like, you know what, let's do it because I'm passionate. And that's coming back to this because of the passion, it makes such a difference in the workforce. Yeah. Um, 
I guess my passion, I, I just feel like I always have to feel passionate for about what I'm doing. And like, at least is it something that I would, 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 it's not like you always enjoy it, but that I would be interested in doing. And that I'm like, feel aligned with the people I'm working with and the topics and the, you know, not everything is like a super important social justice issue. Sometimes we're just doing like, uh, you know, something that's beautiful or, or yeah. something that's, you know, fun. And, and that can be, I can have passion about those things too. Awesome. So you, you must've been all over the world with your, with your, your job, you've been, you've got to be in different places. So yeah. where are some of these really cool places or some of these really exciting places that your job has taken you? One of the um, exciting places I went to was Senegal. Um, oh. I, I had that opportunity to meet the president of Senegal when I was working on a project for the Global Oceans Commission of the United oh, Nations cool. in New York. And um I guess that I made enough of an impression that he invited me to make a film with him about Senegal for the country. Um, some short films that he felt like could maybe um, change some of the stereotypes about African countries and, and just show how they really are, like just meeting the people there. And, yeah. and sometimes I think a lot of those videos play like a tourist video and he wanted it to not feel like a tourism video and for it to just feel like what would it, really just show what was going on there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that was a really fun uh, and unique opportunity. And also, I think there's a lot of unique, fun opportunities, even in the United States and Canada, that don't get explored as much, like working on the uh, Mexican-Texas border, working on Ooh, the Mexican-Arizona yeah. border. Um, sometimes you just, I mean, New York City is like an endless <laughs> opportunity for unique stories. But really, I, I like... I like filming all over all over the country and all over the world because I feel like um, I think there's a lot of stereotypes actually that exist about uh, everywhere that mm -hmm. I think when you actually go and meet people it really helps to connect and to understand and I think I like I like connecting people. Awesome. Well, we are going to take a quick break right now so we can have a word from our sponsors. Hold tight. We'll be right back. Are you a small business owner struggling to keep up with large corporations and their media companies? Not to worry. With Cardinal Images, you will be able to get your business looking amazing online at an affordable price. And guess what? Listeners of this podcast not only get their demo images, but also their first session free. To redeem your free shoot, email eric at cardinalimages.ca with the subject line, podcast promo. Cardinal Images, amazing quality, incredible pricing, and personable photography. And welcome back. Whether you actually listen to the whole ad or just skip for those 30 seconds, welcome back anyways. We have, if you're just listening, even though it is highly unlikely that you decide to skip to the halfway point of the show, we are talking to Trish Dalton, who is a documentary producer slash director, and she's joining us via Zoom uh, from Brooklyn, New York. Welcome back. Thank you. So let's, let's, let's dive right back in. So being a filmmaker myself, kind of, I went to school for broadcasting and film. 
way uh, a couple years ago uh, at Centennial College. Shout out to Centennial College's broadcasting and film program. Excellent, excellent program. Um, so, and what one of the one of the we had to learn all the all the roles. So, director, assistant director, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, from my experience, the producer is normally the top dog of the production. Um, so, being in a documentary genre, that obvious that role of producer takes a different role than it would in, let's say, a feature film. So what would your task be? Like, what would your task be for a film from beginning to end as a producer? That's a good question. Cause a producer can mean a lot of different things. I'm actually part of an organization called the documentary producers Alliance, because we're trying to define them more specifically because um, you, for me, what it often means is that I'm running the whole show. So I put together the team and I work creatively with the director to figure out how we're going to um, meet what we're, what we're doing. And that's, that's actually the same as when you do a scripted or narrative film or, or a commercial. Mm -hmm. um, the, usually the producer's pretty involved on figuring out what needs to happen and how to make all those parts happen. Um, but there's also, there's another side of producing that happens, um, where you often end up being pretty creatively involved, especially on documentaries that are smaller budgets and smaller okay. crew so that you're, you're pretty actively involved in like, what is the creative? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, I've worked with directors a lot where we, we try to figure out what their vision is, um, and how to help them get there. Nice. I love that. It's, it's so, it's so great when you can actually physically be a part of the production yourself instead of, you know, being on the sidelines and just watching everything happen. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes that is what producers do, but often my, my, in my work and my experience, I'm, I'm more, much more involved. And, and also I do a lot of directing as well. So it's nice. like, like if a lot of times I produce and direct for myself and then, mm -hmm. or I, I work with a producer or I just produce for other directors. So out of the two, cause you're, you predominantly produce and direct. Is there one of the two that you prefer to do? Um, I, I would say directing because you're more, it's the more creative role. Mm -hmm. um, I, a lot of the times most small, smaller filmmakers or independent filmmakers, we direct and produce mostly because of budget. We have mm -hmm. to kind of put together. <laughs> but, but even when I'm producing, I usually have a producer who I'm working with, but when it's my show, I become pretty involved in who I want to hire and how I want things to look. And I have to be thinking about the budget. And so a lot of times I also executive produce such show, show run. So it's like you're, you're producing, but you're very much involved in the directing yeah. as well. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Now, big question. The COVID-19 pandemic has really changed the world as we know, as we know it to be. Um, literally in every aspect, there are people who will never know what life was like before COVID-19. And that itself blows my mind. But how did the COVID-19 pandemic change your industry and how you operate your job specifically? 
Well, for me personally, um, I think for the industry at whole, it, it kind of shut everything down. And for me personally, it shut everything down. <laughs> I mean, everything pretty much halted to a stop. Um, I had a series and I had a feature film that got completely stopped in Ooh. March of 2020. And um, it didn't really get stopped. It got kicked down the road. But mm-hmm. by June, it was officially stopped. And so um, in the interim, me and my collaborators, we had to figure out um, how we were going to pay our bills while, while the projects were no longer happening. And As we all did, yeah. <laughs> well, lucky, lucky for me, we were actually in pre-production on those projects. So I didn't have a whole team that I was paying. If I had had a whole team, I would have also been responsible for figuring out how a whole team was going to pay their bills. So oh, exactly. anyways, I was lucky. Mm-hmm. And I... I shifted gears because of the downtime to um, developing projects that I wanted to do. And I'd already shot a short narrative film, a short scripted film actually up in Vancouver um, that I haven't released yet, but I finished in 2020 during some of the quiet work times. I finished a short um, narrative that's actually, it's a short comedy that my sister, who you know, Piercy Dalton, starred in. I do, yes. <laughs> and um, I, so, yeah, basically, I just went into pre-production and development on a number of projects. And then in the end of the year, I guess more of the beginning of the year, I started directing remotely. Mm-hmm meaning that I would put a crew together in a state that I would typically, I would go, I would fly in for shoots, but because of COVID, I stayed home and I plugged into Zoom and we had a a feed off the camera going into Zoom so I could see what the camera saw. And I talked to the crew through Zoom. Pretty weird because you can't see all the other stuff going on, right? You can only see what's on the camera. So pretty weird. And also um, (coughs) Zoom isn't calibrated the way that the camera is. So you're not really seeing like, it's hard to, um, it's hard to give direction on, on lighting and things like that. But but, like, that was a safe way of doing it. And it, and it worked, there were some constraints, but Mm -hmm. um, a little less traveling. And then I worked on set um, where we had, where everyone, you know, everybody on set, all of the sets I worked on, even whether I was there or not, everybody wore um, masks and got tested and um, stayed six feet apart and ate outside or or even extra far apart. And we tested all the air quality of all of the locations. We tested, we made sure that they had filters and we made sure that there was outdoor space and there's like, yeah, there's like Bibles of, of regulations that we were following. Wow, I bet. And so that became a big part of um, the equation when we were filming. And then I worked on a, a TV show actually um, supervising some of that those COVID regulations even at one point, oh, geez, which, is, wow. which was interesting. And then I, and then more recently I've been on set, I mean that, in New York mm-hmm. um, and in, in Colorado, I just had a shoot and we, um, we all wore masks and we followed all, all, all the protocols that are by the unions. Um, and, but 
it's it's lessening now if people are vaccinated it's not required the same testing's not required the regulations are changing so awesome. basically basically I, I feel like it's still a bit of a moving target as the numbers go up and down then they mm-hmm. just then, then we determine whether or not testing is needed or you know if people are vaccinated how many cases there are all of those sure. things seem to be affecting the protocols but yeah it's 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 had a it's had a pretty giant impact. I've been stayed very busy, but, um, financially I, I, bit, I am in a different position than before COVID. I'll just say that <laughs> it was like a lot of my work changed. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a, it was a lot of adjustments and it, and, and, um, was a different type of work. Yeah, I took different that, jobs yeah. than I was doing before COVID just to kind of continue working. Absolutely. Backtracking just a second. I. Uh, you said that, you know, there was essentially like an entire Bible of regulations that you now had to follow. Now, not only is that, has that become an integral, was an integral part of filmmaking during the height of the, pa- the pandemic, um, but how much extra time and cost did that add to a production? Um, depending, like probably 10 to 25% of the budget, I thought, I think went to depending um, some, but now it's much less. Yeah. Like now, now, like if, 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 for example, now, if there's, if people are okay, not being tested and if people are vaccinated, then you don't have to deal with the testing protocols and the extra time and the extra air filters and everything else. Um, but when that was required, it, it would, it added quite a lot. It mostly, yeah. even now, like even, I'd say the vetting, pro- yeah, you know, even the vetting process to make sure that the area is safe and what you're doing, it does add quite a bit of time. Wow. So it's not as much money now as it was when we, when we first went back to filming. Mm-hmm. And really, like, I know people that film throughout, but it, we, we didn't really, I didn't go back until... 2021. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I know people that were filming throughout, but they protocols came from the unions in the fall and there was still a lot of people getting sick and I waited for the new year. I think that was that's a smart decision. There was a one documentary I watched uh, during the pandemic and what was it? I think it was on I think it was on Amazon and it was about uh, I think it was, it was oh it was called Unfit. It was about Donald Trump and oh, yeah. They showed a lot of the behind the scenes of how that stuff was set up. I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm like, holy shit. Like that is a lot of PPE. That is a lot of flexi. And it's like, that is a lot of extra steps that one would have to take just to do like a simple one-on-one interview. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's insane. It's, just looking at it and being being in that environment before where it's you know you've got you have a a crew of 20 people in a very cramped spot and you've got lights and everywhere and everyone's trying to hide in all these cramped spaces to now everybody is so distant and you have all these extra layers of protection it's just it looked like a very different vibe yeah oh it was very different it was very um it was nice to be around people again but yeah. it was 
very sterile because everyone was wearing a mask. You don't know what people look like. And also um, it's stressful because some people, sometimes people do get sick on set. Like they might mm -hmm. come to set and get tested and find out that they were sick, you know? Ooh. Oh, that must've been frustrating. Well, just like scary. You don't want anybody yeah. to get sick. You don't want to get anybody else sick, you know? So, I mean, I think the protocols were important. Um, yeah, it was just a, it was a nature. It felt a little bit like working during war times or something, you know? It's weird. Yeah. Like with this COVID, I know in my industry, um, during COVID, I worked in two, two parts of the cannabis sector. I worked in growing and worked in sales. So funny thing is, well, not funny. It's actually kind of makes sense during the pandemic, cannabis sales went up. So naturally we're in more production. We're making more sales. So it's weird because I was never part of that. I'm stuck at home, not doing anything. Life for me kept going and got busier. Did you stay working at home or did, did you work in the, in the, off, in the store? Uh, so in the beginning, it was uh, when, the, when everything was first crazy, it was, I was, I was working at the farm. So I was working at a licensed producer and I was growing the weed. So I couldn't exactly work cool. remotely. Yeah, it was, it was a great job. It was a great job. Um, so it was, can you say? I can, yeah. It's just out in Strathroy, Ontario. Nice. I MD. It's yeah, it's really neat. It's a really cool, uh, really interesting job, but it, yeah, it was really neat, but it didn't, it just didn't feel like anything happened because I went from growing to, you can't really work remotely from growing no. to retail where we were allowed to work curbside. Um, they were with, with restrictions. So people could just come outside and you would walk up and they'd walk up to the door and you would, you'd sell you'd give it to them, whatever. Yes. And no. So yeah, it, it was all pre-order. Yeah. So you had to pre-order everything. So we, there was no interaction at the door. There was no conversation. So everything that made the job amazing wasn't there. Right. That's how it, it was with film. Like it was, was like stagnant. part of what was fun about making film is that you're hanging out with people that you like and. And, and and also like having meals together and stuff. And when you could exactly. do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a weird concept. Like if somebody said to me two years ago, there's going to be a global pandemic that is going to shut down the entire nation and change the world. We know it. I would laugh in their face that like, you are a crazy conspiracy nut and you need to go put your aluminum hat on. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> um, Moving out of COVID now, because let's face it, everybody started to move out of COVID. Now things are finally starting to get back to normal, which is a godsend. Coming out of COVID, um, as everybody is, now that you have a chance to look on all aspects of how you run your job, what is the best part of it? The best part of my job is just is being creative. I think I love, like, I love, the same feeling of like when you put on a show in theater when I was a kid, I think yeah. I love like putting on the show. Like awesome. I love when you, when you put together the whole team and everything comes together and then you're mm -hmm. like making it. I, I, I love that. It's fun. I agree. Watching everything come together and then looking I back, think, it's great. Yeah. Like 
you know, I mean, <laughs> that can happen when you're filming, that can happen when you're in the edit room, that can mm-hmm. happen. But like, it's like you're putting on a show. And exactly. Um, I think I always liked that part of it. I mean, a best another best part when I'm doing social and environmental justice issues is when I feel like my films have made an impact and have helped people. That's another best part. When I, when people, one of my films, student athlete was about college athletes rights Mm -hmm. and um, it came out in 2018 and we took it in 2019 and showed it on Capitol Hill Mm -hmm. and a number of um, legislative representatives and senators um, got, got behind it and used the film um, to help spread the, the news and also to help um, support new legislation that would protect college athletes, right? And this past spring, actually just a few weeks ago, they passed to write a bill that zero to nine, meaning all of like, basically it got completely passed at the um, uh, federal level to give athletes rights because, and so I think like, I think my film, there was other people that were part of that advocacy movement, but I think our film helped. That's awesome. That's gotta be a great feeling. Yeah. Another film that I made helped change legislation around um, Mm -hmm. youth. uh, It used to be if you were youth who was sexually exploited, you could go to jail for being, um, arrested for, for being with the John and at the age of 13. And I made a film where they, I, I, I worked with them to tell their stories and took those stories to use that as an advocacy tool at the legislative level. And again, that was a situation where it took like three years, but, um, Mm -hmm. three or four years after our film came out, they changed the legislation and said you had to be 16, which is still a little problematic, but at least it seemed absurd. Oh, yeah, exactly. Now, it's funny. Now, on the other side of that, if you could change one thing about the industry, what would it be and why? I think I think probably the quote-unquote entertainment industry mm-hmm. um, is reflective of society and, and, and things that I would change in society in general and have them be more fair and equitable. And I think, like, I feel like if there could be more diversity and if there could be... Um, easier way for you know for example people like when I say diversity I mean that as like class and race and sex um I think if if there was more access somehow and that's just like you know you I want the world to be fair of course Um, and 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 so I think like like I I would like it if the world was more fair like it if Mm -hmm. the entertainment industry was more, more fair and that being said um I think that we, we're making some strides. I think that there, that that things are becoming more equitable. I'm working on a few projects now about gender equity in mm-hmm. sports and nice. um, gender equity in music. I think um, that those are. I again, I think these are kind of universal um, issues in in our culture and our society today. But I think um, they they pertain to the the entertainment industry. And I think I try to focus on where opportunities are instead of where they're not (laughs) and, and, and and go in those directions. And I think, you know, I think that um, always, I think as an 
as an artist or somebody in any of any art field, I think it, it's always a little bit of a um, frustration to know how to get your art out there and how yes. to make art and how to make a living, right? And so I think that that's always a thing. And do you have any final advice for those looking to get into the film or television industry? Um, I kind of... I kind of wished that I'd, I know there are some young artists. I just heard of, of a woman recently who's in her late 20s who studied business and writing. And I thought, well, that would have been really smart. My advice to, to yeah. a lot of filmmakers has always been like, well, you know, study film and also study business, because if you want to make a living doing this, you have to think about that. And I, I figured out how to make a living. I, in, in some in some fashion, but I I could have been much smarter about it as I was going, and and I still could be. But I think like um, kind of recognizing that side of it early is 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 smart. Awesome. Now getting away from what you do, our last and final question of the night: um, What was your dream job as a kid? You know, it's funny. I haven't thought about that for a long time, but I think that if you asked me when I was like four years old, I think I just wanted to be a teacher because I thought teachers looked cool. I don't <laughs> think I had like, but I definitely like Rockstar was definitely up there. And this is a really funny story. I took a, um, I took a, what is it called when you're, when you do those tests with like our, our like, Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting what they're called. Like not a social count, a counselor, but whatever. Like there was a counselor, a, yeah. a school counselor. And you had to have an appointment with her in the last year of high school and yep. figure out what you wanted to do. And mm-hmm. and um, so that she asked me all these questions. And it was like, this was back when like computers were very new. And I think she printed out mm-hmm. like literally 50 pages of something at, based on my answers. And it's and it said my, my top most likely career that I was going to pursue was rock star. It literally said rock star. And now this is the funny part. The definition of a rock star, according to this random test from my guidance counselor or whatever this person was, was was the definition was that you will work very, very hard and you have like a 5% chance of like making a living at what you're going to do. But you're going to work very, very hard doing it. And then, you know, a 95% chance of just like sort of like working very hard and not making very much money. And if, you know, I, I, I think that is accurate. You know, like I can remember one friend saying this, like to me 15 years ago, like, wow, you're like, you're still doing that. You know, like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like your friend who's still trying to make a living in a band. And I'm, I feel like sometimes like I'm that guy, like, oh my gosh, I'm still making movies. Like, how did this happen? But I think um, it's a kind of, I feel like in a way it's a little bit of that lifestyle where you, I work a lot and, and in order to do this crazy thing, making movies independently. Um, and like you said, we are jobs, like who does that? But there you go. You can blame that guidance counselor. No, I, I, I thought when I got that result, I was like, that's the dumbest thing. Like who, like, I'm not going to try and be a rock star, you know? Meanwhile, Filmmaking, however, seems completely logical. Uh, uh, well, Trish, you're a rock star in our eyes. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and 
I, I do want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. It has been an absolute pleasure, and thank you. We, we know your, your schedule is very, very busy, uh, so we are very grateful that you were able to take the time to come on to the show. So thank you so much, Trish. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks for joining me this week on Weird Careers. Please don't forget to give us a review. And if you liked us, we would love four stars as well. These really help us get noticed on Apple Podcasts as well as other streaming platforms. Join me next week when we have Tanya De Silva, who gives away smiles for a living. What does that mean? Tune in next week. Until then, I'm E.T. Cheers.